0: This podcast is only for the attention of professional investors in the financial industry.
1: The time for empty talk is
0: over. ECB is ready to do whatever it takes. Because Brexit means Brexit.
2: Hello, good morning, good afternoon to everyone. Uh, This is Jean-Jacques Barbieri speaking from Amundi. And welcome to this uh, blue conversation under Chatham House rules that will be dedicated today uh, to the European situation. Uh, We are entering, uh, I would say, a rich political quarter uh, also on the European side. Uh, in parallel, uh, of course, uh, of the pandemic. Uh, The Brexit for sure uh, ended the year. Uh, We had a little change happening uh, in Italy uh, recently. Uh, Of course, uh, there are major developments uh, in Germany for the succession of the canceling. So we are going to uh, have a little uh, deep dive into all these elements uh, to, uh, I would say, have clear views on how to see what is at stake in Europe uh, in the course of 2021. Uh, For that, uh, uh, I have the pleasure uh, to be today uh, with uh, Enrico Letta, former Italian uh, prime minister uh, that I think uh, all our auditors uh, know very well because uh, Enrico is uh, one of our, I would say, best guests uh, and commentators on European situation. Uh, and I'm also with uh, Gilles Le head of Euro Fixed Income at Amundi, uh, and uh, Sergio Bertoncini, head of rates and fixed uh, forex research uh, at Amundi. Um, so I-, I would like to start this conversation uh, with you, Enrico. Uh, maybe with having your analysis uh, of the Italian situation um, Mm -hmm. Italy uh, entered uh, again uh, into some kind of government crisis Uh, Conte seems now to have a majority but that Seems extremely thin, uh, maybe not likely uh, enough to go ahead. Uh, so, what are uh, in your views, the possible scenarios uh, for Italy uh, in the course of uh, this year? Uh, and do you see an end to this uh, governmental crisis uh, and possible uh, anticipated new elections?
1: Uh, first of all, uh, hello everyone. I'm very pleased to be here again. My uh, point about Italy. It's very simple. Italy uh, has uh, a government uh, with a majority that is fragile in the numbers uh, in one of the chambers. Uh, you know very well that uh, the Italian system uh, obliged the government to have uh, a majority and confidence vote uh, in both chambers. Yeah. And in the Senate, um, there are problems uh, for, for the numbers. So, uh, govern- the government uh, uh, overcame the obstacle uh, last week, but uh, uh, with a very fragile majority. And uh, the Italian system is a system where it is very difficult for a minority government uh, to uh, to to run. And uh, uh, it's not like in uh, Spain or in Portugal, where you have two governments today, two minority governments, and the system allow them to uh, work. That is not the case in Italy. The parliament is the very centre. If you are not in majority in the parliament, in all the committees of the parliament, uh, your government uh, uh, risks a lot. And this is exactly what is happening. So uh, there are troubles. Uh, this week will be another crucial week, maybe the decisive one, but maybe next one will be uh, the one where we will understand uh, better the decisions. Uh, What we expect is the resignation of uh, President Conte with the idea to form a new government with a new majority, but a new majority that uh, is very uh, similar to the one uh, that uh, he has today. Uh, So a sort of reshuffling, reshape of the government with the idea to have. Uh, new um, supports in the Parliament uh, to have not a large majority, but a majority uh, enough to work. My uh, scenarios are, I think fifty uh, percent uh, is for this uh, third Conte uh, government. so we get a majority that is similar to the uh, present one, a little bit stronger. so i I see fifty percent there. I see uh, 20%, the same uh, majority, but with another uh, prime minister. I see uh, 20% uh, uh, for uh, uh, new elections, and I see uh, 10% for a government of national unity with all all, uh, uh, parties uh, signed on board, uh, and with the prime minister uh, very well-known uh, uh, person, of course, not Conte, but someone else. Uh, these, these are my uh, forecasts for, uh, for next weeks, And, uh, of course, it will be immediately understandable if uh, the most likely scenario for the Conte new government uh, will have uh, the chances that I see now, and uh, Wednesday, or Thursday of this week will be important to understand if this scenario is really the one that will uh, uh, happen.
2: Okay, no, thank you very much, and, and thanks for the detailed forecasts. Uh, turning maybe uh, not uh, on to Italy only, but uh, more generally to the uh, European uh, situation uh, at large. Uh, but we're at a moment uh, that is, uh, I would say, slightly uh, complicated, uh, to say the least, uh, because uh, of uh, the pandemic. Uh, so far, uh, I would say, uh, the uh, Green Deal package uh, and the rescue plan uh, have not turned into effect yet and have not materialized yet. Uh, so it means that uh, Europe at the moment is facing um, complicated economic uh, situation, um, social tensions uh, that are also uh, important in a number of countries. Um, c- can you elaborate a little? Uh, I would say on the challenges you see uh, for uh, the European Union at large in this first year uh, without you. Uh, UK being in. Uh, and how do you see, I would say, the uh, positioning of the European Commission uh, or uh, the potential new priorities, if any, uh, that the European Commission uh, is going to follow and to push uh, member states uh, to uh, to move forward on during, uh, during the
1: course of this year? Uh, you correctly, Jean-Jacques, focused on uh, the delivery of the uh, next generation EU. And I think it is the heart of uh, everything because last year, the decisions that the European Union took uh, are really uh, revolutionary decisions. We know uh, very well. Uh, the key point is that these decisions are not easy to be uh, implemented. Uh, and uh, the implementation problem problems are related, first of all, to the process of ratification. At national level, and we see there uh, a lot of delays. For instance, uh, the crisis in the Netherlands is is, uh, creating some uh, some risks there, or other countries. Only can or only three four countries uh, already uh, uh, ratified. So it's uh, I think it's a a first problem. Second problem is the uh, the fact that uh, different countries, uh, Italy, but not only Italy, are working on the implementation side but it will take time and it's not easy uh, because this amount of money uh, if it is with the idea to have long-term projects is not easy uh, to be implemented and there's of course also the problem of uh, the uh, implementation of the uh, revenue side Uh, where where can we take uh, when can we find uh, this money so All the process for the uh, tech uh, taxation uh, or the creation of the corona bond and so on, it is not uh, easy. Uh, Of course, the big issue today is around vaccines, around the the, the internal borders. I I, uh, underline the difficulty that the European Union is is living. Uh, on the internal market uh, we are since many months uh, with, with the, the revenge of borders at european level it's a uh, it's I uh, uh, imagine it's a big big uh, issue and uh, of course the big risk is that all this year or a big part of this year would be influenced by that it is true also that we learned the lesson from the first lockdown so Activities are working even if uh, this blockage is uh, it's a reality. So uh, the problems are, uh, will be probably uh, less intense than the one we we experienced in uh, March, April, May uh, 20. Uh, but, but of course, uh, uh, the um, uh, structural uh, situation is continuing and it is creating also problems to many of the projects or programs that the European Union had. For instance, there's this story of the uh, Conference of the future of Europe that was due that was supposed to start uh, May last year and it is now again uh, maybe uh, ready to be uh, launched with the idea to start May this year uh, but uh, everything is uh, decided and uh, uh, it seems uh, that uh, everything is ready and uh, nothing is decided. So uh, the, the, the big problem is the fact that this conference was supposed to discuss on, for instance, uh, health uh, Europe, so how to build up a European Union with true structural competence and so on, health care, and, uh, and also many other issues uh, on democracy and so on. It's just an example to say how difficult is this period for the decision-making process. And of course, uh, the, you mentioned from the the German, uh, the German uh, elections and the fact that uh, uh, yes they will have a leader today, and uh, the elections uh, September will be probably the most crucial uh, political event. and then we will see what will be the uh, next and further scenario for uh, German um, politics. Uh, the most likely scenario is a, is a, a CDU Greens government under the leadership of someone uh, among uh, uh, Laschet, among uh, the health minister or the CDU leader as chancellor. This is what we uh, understand
2: yeah i think I, I think we're going to, to come back to, to germany afterwards before moving uh, to uh, i would say uh, questions uh, regarding uh, the impact of the situation on financial markets i have one last uh, question um, That is general one uh, for you, Mr. Prime Minister, which is, do you have the perception uh, of marginalization uh, of Europe uh, in the uh, overall uh, global context? I know this is a difficult situation, but at the moment, if we look at the way notably a number uh, of uh, developing countries uh, are trying to... uh, answer to the pandemic crisis. Uh, They rely a a lot uh, on the efforts that are led by China, by India. Um, There might be some very strong consequences, I would say, in the perception of the capacities uh, of the European Union to be a credible partner in the long term as Europe is facing difficulties in managing the pandemic on its own territory. Is it something that uh, you are... Uh, anticipating or something that you're feeling in the conversations you may you may have uh, that uh, progressively uh, we see a, a marginalization uh, of europe due to the crisis notably uh, in the eyes uh, of uh, our partners uh, in emerging countries
1: uh, i see uh, the end of last year as uh, a positive uh, uh, two good news uh, arriving from from brussels first one was of course, Brexit deal, that was, in my view, very important to avoid a mess. Um, and it was a good signal also for the rest of the world. Second one was the, uh, with the agreement with China. But that was also, in my view, uh, an important and good signal. It was also the signal that the European Union uh, has its own leadership at world level. And it was a sort of response to what happened in Asia. With the reset uh, agreement uh, that 15 countries signed in Hanoi November the 15th. I give um, some importance to this agreement. Uh, this agreement uh, among the 10 countries, uh, China, and Japan, South Korea, Australia, and New Zealand, is, in my view, a good and very interesting first move from Asia uh to, to uh, for for the post pandemic world and if we combine uh, the situation in the us and uh, what europe is trying to do i think that can uh, uh, allows us allows us to to think that maybe next year or this year this year 20 the first year in which uh, uh, we can discuss on uh, multilateralism on uh, new exchanges, trades, and so on in a more positive way. I don't see immediately a marginalization of Europe. I see uh, the opposite because of Biden and because the good uh, signal that Biden gave. Also in terms of team, I think the team uh, choices were very important to understand how uh, important was and how uh, big is the attention uh from uh, from biden uh to uh the relationship with europe but of course uh, these are only signals until now so we we need to to, to see the consequences the delivery and uh, we will understand if these signals are uh, more than just signals so um, i think the year started with some good perspectives for um, europe I see with some words, um, some discussions between France and Germany on uh, our, uh, our strategic autonomy, uh, sovereign autonomy, uh, and so on. There are some nuances, or maybe more nuances, more than nuances between France and Germany on these topics, and it is very important that the European Union can be united in, in this very period. <laughs>
2: Thank you very much. Uh, Maybe, Sergio, moving to you, because uh, I think uh, the start of the year uh, we've seen because of the political uncertainty uh, in Italy, uh, the spread's widening uh, for the BTP. uh, The volatility has remained uh, overall relatively contained, but still, uh, let's say it has been one of the market stories of the beginning of the year. Uh, So uh, what what are your views uh, on the uh, Italian debt? I would say fundamentally speaking. uh, uh, And uh, how do you see also uh, the uh, Existing uh, umbrella uh, of the ECB, uh, do you believe uh, in its uh, continuous deployment? I don't know if we deploy continuously an umbrella. It might not be totally correct what I'm saying as a sentence. But uh, h- what are your views regarding uh, the uh, Italian debt from a macro perspective at this point in time? Yes.
3: Good morning, everyone, and thank you for for the question. Actually, uh, the fundamenta- on the fundamentals, we expect the rebound in GDP growth uh, to start this year and to continue at a similar pace also in 22. At the same time, this, on the fiscal side, uh, uh, clearly the numbers remain challenging also in 21. Uh, as fiscal ratios uh, should start to improve uh, uh, mostly from uh, from next year and in following years. As this year, the deficit uh, is expected to be lower than in 20, but still uh, relatively high by by historical standards. I think that the limited volatility in the market has to do uh, with uh, with what you were saying about the ECB and the technicals, especially, because actually, if we move to the technicals, which are uh, a driving force, uh, which have been a driving force in 20, but uh, we think uh, uh, will remain a driving force also in, in 21, uh, and we look at the dynamics of. Uh, one side, on one side, the lower expected net issuance uh, from uh, from the Italian treasury. on the other side, uh, um, we compare this uh, um, expected net issuance with the ECB potential in terms of purchases. Uh, the technicals uh, remain quite uh, quite supportive. And at the same time, uh, we expect uh, that uh, the low rates for longer Scenario and uh, also the, the huge liquidity which is in the system uh, uh, will support the persisting hunt for yield uh, among among investors. Looking at more deeply into the supply and demand drivers, uh, uh, if we compare 21 with 20, we see three factors which uh, should decrease uh, the expected net issuance uh, of uh, you know Italian debt. The first is uh, a lower deficit. And the, the second is the, the fact that some of the new funds, uh, uh, let's think to, to the Sure Fund, for example, are coming in 21. And then at the third point, which is also different uh, from periphery, if we look to periphery and the core countries, the higher redemptions uh, uh, expected uh, this year with respect to last year. For Italy, they amount to around uh, 20 billion more So overall, on the supply side, we see a lower uh, net issuance need uh, and also a lower pressure. On the other side, uh, looking uh, into the ECB, five power after the increase that we had in December and taking into account uh, what has remained from last year, we see that the five power of the ECB uh, looks more than adequate to cover for uh, uh, net issuance, not only of Italy, but all uh, of, of all uh, the European countries. So I would say that the technicals are going to remain uh, to remain supportive. Uh, and uh, as I was saying before, also the liquidity injections, which have been done through the TLTROs, uh, is going to remain uh, an, an indirect. Uh, uh, important uh, factor of supporting also the uh, you know the search for in the in, uh, in the market. So therefore, we can expect the ECB to continue to keep uh, uh, the low funding cost uh, at issuance and also to support <clears throat> to some extent uh, a further uh, fall of uh, the cost of debt on a stock uh, on overall stock basis,
1: I would say
2: okay thanks so it, so as the, the umbrella remains wide open uh, nothing to worry about huh? that, that's basically uh, the message uh, but coming from an investment perspective uh, so turning now to Gilles Define uh, Gilles uh, Italian debt has been a very core conviction of ours uh, since a number of months even years <laughs> uh, in, uh, in our fixed income solutions uh, so is it still the case uh, if uh, yes uh, what is uh, I would say the fundamental uh, rational uh, behind uh, and uh, what are the opportunities uh, you see uh, to deploy uh, capital uh, in uh, Italian debt and maybe in Italy at large uh, in uh, in that context?
0: Yes, in fact, uh, it's true that uh, I would say um, during the course of last year, I would say uh, Italy was clearly a core call of, of ours, mainly because we've been early believers of the new ECB under Christine Lagarde. And this has helped us, I would say, to benefit from the one link we saw. Uh, and I would say this has been contributing to the good performance of our products. And I'm talking not only about Italy, but I would say the whole peripheral context in mind. At the end of 2020, we uh, decreased a little the risk into the portfolios. Not really concerned by any clouds we saw on the horizon, but rather uh, after, I would say, a big year, uh, we thought uh, it could make sense for uh, notably uh, a valuation reason, I would say, to uh, limit, uh, to limit this a little. Where are we now? I would say there are three important factors to consider, I think, when looking at the Italian situation. The first of one is to take stock of the game changing, changing nature of, uh, of sure and uh, next generation EU plan. Clearly, for me, this opened some new avenues for investor interest. A good example of this is uh, to see uh, the Japanese investor who, who have been uh, big buyers of, uh, through the years of US treasuries, of Australian debt. And also of uh, eurozone debt, mainly around 80s, seen as a kind of a proxy for a bond in terms of liquidity and slightly more yieldy. Now uh, those investors are venturing into in, into BTPs. So hopefully it will contribute I think to uh, the, uh, the I would say a, a new increase of the of the amount of debt held by non-domestic investors, and I trust fully uh, the Japanese behaviour to represent a lot of other uh, investors into, I would say, the world. Second big topic, the positive market technicals. Clearly, Sergio alluded, alluded to that. Uh, next year, we're going to have probably uh, net Italian debt insurance, I would say, whatever the hypothesis we take on the ECB Q- QE action. And thirdly, I would say um, the, ra- the debt to GDP ratio is uh, becoming a relative one. I, prior to the COVID crisis, mainly Italy and Portugal had higher than 100 numbers. Now, after, after, uh, 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 as of now, at least, but you see that even uh, semi-core countries like uh, France and uh, Belgium are, ho- are hovering around 120% in terms of debt to GDP ratio. So, in a sense, Italy and, and, and Portugal are not the only bad kids in town. Uh, the whole framework, I think, uh, merits some kind of uh, uh, relative uh, considerations. So overall, I would say we still like Italy, we still like the risk. Uh, we think valuations are a little stretched. Hence, uh, this year, our view is that we should, we should over around 100 to 125, perhaps up to 140, uh, boon BTP spreads over 10 years. We think there is value also on, uh, on the long term, actually, on the long end, because, uh, uh, here curves are quite steep, notably versus, I would say, uh, uh, German Bund. Uh, and so we, 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 we have money to deploy and we wait for good entry points, especially in light of the current volatility, which is driven by political considerations.
2: Thanks a lot, uh, Gilles. Uh, maybe, uh, Mr. Leta, coming back to you again, uh, you, you started uh, to uh, give us uh, your views uh, uh, on uh, what uh, could happen uh, in Germany. And for sure, uh, this is uh, d- the major uh, political event uh, in uh, in the first quarter, uh, the succession of uh, Ms. Merkel. Uh, you mentioned that you expect a CDU, a green uh, government, potentially. So maybe we, we will have another call uh, that will be fully dedicated uh, to uh, the Heritage uh, of uh, the considering and generally uh, on the German perspectives at large. But here, one point, um, how do you see the evolution uh, of uh, the positioning uh, of Germany in this context vis-à-vis the uh, European agenda at large? Because Ms. Merkel has pushed massively uh, in... uh, the last moments, I would say, uh, for uh, deepening EU integration uh, and has taken the hand that was uh, there for long uh, of uh, the French president in particular, um, and have achieved a number of things under the, president, uh, the German presidency of the European Union. Do you think that this willingness to further integrate, uh, that this uh, appetite uh, for uh, tightened cooperation in Europe will remain? Uh, whoever will uh, be our successor, but still I would say the potential candidates uh, seems to have, uh, I would say all the relative same political DNA. So, so how do you see that? Uh, maybe it's uh, it's a little early to, uh, to say, but what is your feeling
1: about it? Uh, it is not easy to say today that uh, it is clear that uh, uh, the, the choice of the new chancellor will be uh, crucial decided, and also the choice of the new Minister of Finance uh, will be decided because I attach a big importance of uh, the change. uh, For instance, from Schröder to uh, Scholz. I think Scholz was part of the change of the the German uh, economic financial policies in in this uh, very period. So um, I mentioned three names. These three names are. Uh, the ones that are at the very center uh, of the uh, scene today. And if I may say, I think uh, my, my feeling is that Laschet is the one who is uh, uh, the most Merkelian, uh, if I may say. Uh, the other two uh, are a little bit different. Uh, Span was um, uh, someone who worked very very, very much with Schäuble in his previous life at the Ministry of Finance. So it's uh, someone who maybe uh, could uh, change a little bit the approach to the so-called European solidarity. Uh, And the leader of CSU is a little bit unknown on these topics. uh, uh, So it would be maybe a question mark on that. But the key question mark is the fact that in Germany, uh, next elections will take place for the first time with uh, uh, something of completely unknown, that is uh, the fact that the uh, chancellor is not running again. Uh, we always had uh, the chancellor uh, in charge running, and uh, it's not the case in. Uh, Uh, This year. Uh, So it is not easy to to have a forecast. Uh, So I said uh, to the Greens because it is what uh, uh, our German uh, friends are uh, repeating in this very period, but it is not uh, for granted and it is not easy. Uh, There's someone who also uh, mentioned the fact that why not uh, a green. uh, red uh, uh, Alliance. Uh, so it's uh, it's it not easy to say to say today that uh, uh, what is clear is that that will be um, not an easy step for Germany because Merkel uh, will will, will uh, it, it will be not easy for them to uh, substitute Merkel. That's for sure.
2: Mm. And what is interesting also is that it can uh, evolve pretty quickly uh, because uh, if we step back, uh, I would say one year and a half uh, <clears throat> before uh, the I would say a green a predominance was considered as uh, a given uh, in Germany, and now uh, the situation has uh, I would say switched switched again. So it's uh, it's it's interesting, but I think we will have time to uh, to discuss that uh, further in, uh, in with you in in the com in the coming months. Uh, maybe then, uh, Sergio, turning back to you again, uh, uh, I would. To, to have your comment on what's going on uh, at uh, the uh, ECB uh, level. But I think um, if we look uh, at the major central banks in the world, in the US, things are clear. Huh? <laughs> Nothing is going to change, uh, for sure. Uh, in the uh, EU, uh, what are your views regarding uh, the positioning uh, of uh, the ECB? Um, Do you anticipate that there would be uh, any uh, change or first signals uh, to envisage a change uh, in the monetary policy uh, in the course of this year? Uh, it could be a little weird to anticipate that in a way, because uh, we're still uh, right in the middle of the crisis at the moment. But what are your views? And do you do you expect that the debate regarding the progressive exiting uh, of the strategy that was put into place in the context of the crisis is going to start in 2021?
3: Well, actually, I think it is uh, reasonable to expect a more in- internal debate uh, inside uh, the, the ECB to take place uh, as the recovery uh, is going to proceed uh, this year and, and next year. And so the fourth, I think the, the hoax uh, uh, will try to challenge to some extent also the the quite uh, current accommodative stance of monet- monetary policy. At the same time, I think the, the ECB, Really emphasized uh, the target, which is um, uh, preserving uh, favorable funding conditions in a very holistic way. So for all the factors of the economy, not only, you know, uh, in curves, but also spreads, credit, and so on. At the same time, what we saw is the fact that in order to reach this target, the ECB calibrated a remarkable increase in its QE, and so it secured a significant, uh, what they defined as significant constant market presence. And, uh, and therefore, uh, we, we come to the third point, which is important for the ECB: the symmetry of uh, the eventual pace adjustment. They said clearly that the objective is to keep financial condition uh, uh, easy, and so they can even uh, move on one side or on or on the other if it is not needed. For example, also. To be spent the overall amount uh, of of their potential. So the flexibility, I think, will remain uh, uh, the crucial uh, way they they act. What we can expect is that, uh, as in the case uh, you were mentioned, uh, of the other central banks, uh, the ECB will continue to to be quite supportive uh, and and will confirm, uh, I think, it's uh, ultra-easy monetary policy. Uh, also, because recently we had uh, on one side uh, um, in Q1 we will have a negative uh, impact uh, from lockdowns and restrictions uh, into into the GDP numbers, and then we had also some uh, uh, signs of tightening uh, starting uh, still at a very early phase, but tightening uh, in, uh, in in uh, bank lending standards. So. These two points, I think will uh, will keep uh, uh, the ECB quite accommodative uh, in the next uh, in the next quarters. also because they they clearly said that they will keep uh, a stance uh, for the uh, accommodative stance for the time needed for the recovery. Uh, to be back from uh, from the pandemic so overall i would say that we shouldn't expect uh, big uh, big changes uh, in uh, in ecB stance and uh, looking also into next years i would say that uh, we can expect the ecB when uh, and if uh, the net flows uh, will come to an end also to keep uh, uh, reinvestments uh, for quite some time in order especially to give more effectiveness to the to the recovery fund, which is crucial, I think, in um, in supporting investment and supporting also the improvement in GDP potential growth. So, the ECB has clearly played quite a role in 20. We play still a very strong role in 21, and then also in the next few years, we can expect the stock effect of QE Mainly through reinvestment to remain uh, important in order to keep financial conditions uh, easy and to give uh, more uh, space uh, to the recovery fund to work, uh, you know, uh, better.
2: Okay, thanks. So, so it seems that uh, in 2021, it doesn't it doesn't seem. It is the case that in 2021 we're going to continue uh, to live uh, as uh, we used to live uh, in the eurozone, meaning uh, against nature, meaning under the water, uh, meaning we've we've learned how to uh, breath underwater since a number of years now, uh, and, and so they're therefore uh, under zero <laughs> or below zero. Uh, so we're going to uh, to continue. Uh, so Gilles has already taken a deep breath uh, for 2021. Uh, but uh, how do you see therefore uh, the interest in investing uh, in a, i would say euro denominated uh, asset classes in fixed income uh, in particular uh, and uh, what are your views how do you uh, how do you envisage on a relative basis uh, to uh, generate uh, anything uh, for euro fixed income investors this year
0: but I would say, first, if you look at the current state of fixed income market, there is clearly one one rationale, which is, I would say, uh, short-term uncertainties linked to the COVID and its variant, uh, whatever you name it. And I would say, uh, longer-term, i.e. Uh, second, uh, second semester, at least for now, uh, longer-term horizon of things getting better and vaccine rollout. Uh, but then, if you look at the different regions, I would say, uh, there are some specific factors at play. I mean, clearly, in the U.S., a lot of discussion also uh, is centered around, I would say, the, the, the impact of Biden plan and notably the fact that a part of the money is going to go for uh, to the less wealthy people which means consumption is probably going to increase, uh, meaning that uh, potential inflation is going to come back, uh, or at least uh, discussion about it. Uh, if you look at Japan, it's say ilk of control and no change. If you look at emerging market, clearly uh, there is a lot of things going on because it has been an unnawed area for, for a few uh, months and years. And so here it's quite bullish, both on the equity, on the FX, and also on the fixed income side. And finally, if you look at Europe, clearly, yes, uh, the ECB is in. But guess what? There are a lot of long-term issues which at some point are going to come back to the fore. I mean, uh, clearly... um, clearly, uh, the, 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 the integration of the EU, even perhaps some discussion around restriking of debt to GDP ratio, because when you have 160 of debt to GDP ratio target, guess what? It's going to be difficult to have everybody motivated to try to do something. The, the goal is too far. Uh, so I think those different set of play in different markets means that we're going to have a lot of, uh, I would say, uh, occasions to, uh, to do things in our, in our portfolio. If I, if I, if I am more more specific, there is first the issue of uh, the decompression trade. I mean, I uh, investing into high yield or subordinated debt as a way to to uh, to get better, to get more carry in our portfolios. There is a subject of the uh, within the IG, uh, the investment grade credit, either the, the I would say the, the, geor- the geographical one, uh, Europe versus US versus CM, but also I would say even with, uh, into Europe. The, the discussion as to when you get back to, I would say, uh, COVID hit sectors, uh, transportation, uh, airports, etc. At some point, it's going gonna, it's gonna, to it's gonna be the way to go. There is a question about uh, which kind of asset do you buy, the ones which are bought by the ECB or the others on the credit side. Clearly, the FX, we talked about it. Um, and I would say, uh, clearly, the inflation theme also is going some, is something which is going to, to come back on, uh, on the floor, i.e. are we going to get back inflation when, in what format, and how markets are going to behave. So I think overall, to conclude, uh, yes, ECB is there, uh, but clearly, I think the different, uh, the different um, stages of the different markets is going to create opportunities for us in FQ.
2: Okay, thank you very much. I think we're coming to to the end uh, of this uh, conversation. It's always interesting uh, to um, uh, re-listen to the previous conversations we may have. Two years ago, uh, we had one where we were calling or explaining that it was the moment for a European Renaissance. It was two years ago. So probably we were a little uh, mistaken, not mistaken, because at the end, there are some uh, very strong elements regarding the revival of Europe uh, in the last two years. But at least from a historical perspective, Renaissance came after the the Great Plague uh, and not before. so in, the, in that sense, uh, maybe we are not totally right uh, from an historical perspective. This being said, uh, for each of you, uh, what is the key thing uh, or the key conviction uh, you're going to have or you're going to stick to uh, in the course uh, of uh, 2021? Uh, starting by you, Mr. Prime Minister, what is the, the key thing you're going to look at uh, looking at the European developments in 2021?
1: Uh, I think it's the delivery of the of the recovery plan of the next generation EU. The way in which this recovery uh, will be done uh, will influence a lot of the political uh, uh, scene, both in scenarios, uh, both at European and at national level. In my view, it is the crucial point. Mm-hmm.
2: It's a very important point indeed, because so far the perception uh, has been that the reaction of the EU has been quite strong. But uh, if this perception crashes onto reality, that could have very uh, severe consequences. Or if uh, it's not the case uh, and if the delivery uh, is, uh, I would say, done properly, this could have very (laughs) positive uh, consequences from the the political side. So thanks for that. Uh, Sergio, on your side, what will be the key thing you're going to look at?
3: Yes, from my point of view, clearly we have to monitor the the, the ECB and the monetary policy. My, my guess is that the ECB umbrella will remain open and will continue to support the technicals. And uh, it will be very important also to understand how the ECB will manage with the flexibility they have uh, the the QE and how they will also give uh, messages to the markets in terms of uh, 22. So the the year after the second year of uh, strong QE uh, technicals. So, so
2: what you're going to look at is already looking at 2022. Uh, and Gilles, finally?
0: But I, I agree with, uh, with all that has been said. And I will add a third one, which is I think that we see uh, we during those, year, those those months, I would say that all those changes are happening uh, in a world where our investors are more and more concerned with uh, the need to uh, to I would say, do this in, a, in the right way from a, I would say a world standpoint. And so for me, we see, we saw this year the S of the ESG uh, complex going, coming to the fore. I think it's good to see that and it's good to participate to this adventure, I would say. Okay,
2: thank you. And uh, yeah, keep keep an eye on the social side of the equation. And more than an eye probably uh, is going to be a, a key element, uh, uh, I would say, for Amundi uh, at large uh, in the course uh, of 2021 and going forward. Uh, so thank you very much uh, for uh, to uh, you all three. Uh, see you uh, pretty soon uh, all uh, and probably uh, for uh, a next conversation uh, where we will have to dig uh, into, I would say, uh, the complexities uh, of uh, of the German politics evolving so far. So thank you very much uh, to you all, uh, in in particular uh, to uh, you and Rico, Mr. Prime Minister. Uh, thanks to all and keep safe. Bye
0: bye. This podcast is only for the attention of professional investors as defined in Directive 2004-39-EC, dated 21st of April 2004, on markets in financial instruments called MIFID, investment services providers, and any other professional of the financial industry. Views are subject to change and should not be relied upon as investment advice on behalf of Amundi.